Trade Talk Live, exploring human, digital, and social transformations. Welcome to Straight Talk Live. I am your host, Rick Snyder. I'm the author of Decisive Intuition and the CEO of Invisible Edge. And I'm also joined by our fellow co-host, Af Maholtra. Af, do you want to introduce yourself? Thanks, Rick. Welcome, everyone, for another fantastic Straight Talk Live. I'm the co-creator of Straight Talk Live and the co-founder of Growth Enabler and had the pleasure to um, actually deploy AI in real life, yes, real life, for the last five years. So um, very exciting topic and absolutely delighted to have our guests on today. So Rick, um, over to you, buddy, and let's crack on with this conversation. This is one I've been very excited about. Um, And just to give a little background for those who might be joining us for the first time, Straight Talk Live is really about the cornerstones of human transformation digital transformation and social impact. And so we look for topics, especially in a post-pandemic world of looking at what are the questions we're forgetting to ask? What are the conversations we're not having? What are the ones we need to be having right now in different sectors of our society? And one of the ones that most excites me is this conversation around artificial intelligence. This was hot before, (laughs) well before the pandemic. And it also just adds a whole nother wrinkle about What's actually speeding up? What's slowing down? What are the things we need to be discussing? Um, And when I think about AI, I go to one of two places. One of them is more of that dystopian future that we've seen in our movies around Skynet and this idea of the robots taking over and AI being smarter than us in our own games. And there's a lot we can explore with that conversation today. There's also the other side, which I like to call Star Trek. And that is how can we actually explore the universe even further together where we're actually cohabitating and using each other for the best types of enhancements and ways of supporting what we do best. So um, that's what I know our, our special guest, Nick Carinos from Fountech AI is really passionate about. Um, and I know I've been in conversation with Nick for over a year or around a year or so. And I've just been blown away by um, what you're about to hear from Nick, from himself, just around where he comes from around AI. He's been in this field for decades, literally, and is still on the cutting edge and fringe of AI development and advancement. Um, And he's uh, based in Cyprus. And so without further ado, Nick, welcome to our show. Rick, uh, thank you very much for having me. Um, Welcome, everyone. I've been looking forward to this for over a week now. Um, I'm Nick Carinos. I've, as Rick said, I've been in AI for going on 39 years now. So it's, it's uh, giving away my age a little bit there, but been at this for a long time. I've seen the winters, summers, springs and falls. Um, I run a group of companies called foundtech.ai. Uh, we're active in a number of areas, one being AI R&D research trying to move the state of the art beyond where it is now. So uh, I refer to deep learning as a blessing and a curse. What comes next? What comes next is going to enable the next level of, of AI. Uh, so we're working on that. We have an AI consulting business, a AI software development business, and probably the one I'm, I'm most passionate and excited about is Fountech Ventures, which is our venture building business, which is really a, it's an incubator, it's an accelerator, it's a, it's a early stage VC, it's a venture builder. And we take entrepreneurs with phenomenal deep tech AI ideas and we help take them from literally an idea and a guy or two, a gal or two, and take them all the way through to series B, literally as corporate co-founders. So that in a nutshell is what our company does and, and what I do. Well, thank you for being here and let's jump right in. So Nick, what I'm most curious about first, just to kick this off is obviously this pandemic has interrupted and shifted everything and it has exposed where infrastructures are broken, supply chains aren't working. Um, there's so yeah. much need for better integration in systems um, and uh, different approaches, radical approaches. What are you seeing in the AI fringe right now um what are the conversations that are having with other ai architects designers creators what are you noticing just in terms of what is this pandemic exposing and is it accelerating the need for ai is it pausing what what are you seeing out there well i think 
the immediate reaction is, first of all, a, a number of projects are continuing. So those initiatives are ongoing, right? But I think this, the, the pandemic has caused uh, decision makers in the space to pause and ponder. And this is the largest experiment literally in every discipline you can possibly imagine, including uh, human resources, uh, workforce automated, automation, management, et cetera, et cetera. So what's happened is that we've been forced to work remotely um, and that's exposed weaknesses. You know, Zoom's great, but it has limitations. Um, and people are thinking about what do we now need to do to cope with the new reality? So there's a tremendous amount of conversation going on. And we sort of going, we're getting towards the end of the pondering, but I'm seeing a massive wave of AI development and innovation happening on the tail end of, of this pandemic. And also you've got, because of the, the, the sort of force move to digitization, uh, that translates into a tremendous amount of data being gathered and a tremendous amount of knowledge being created through these experiments that are happening. So all of that is going to translate into additional AI development that wasn't even considered before. So those that are on the fence are going to get off the fence and, and move forward. Those that were on the fence about remote working have been forced to get off the fence. So it's kind of just, it's like the, the world has just given us this little nudge to say, take, take the next step. Let's do it. And, and that's beginning to happen in a big way. Hmm. And Nick, so, so what you're saying is there's going to be a rise in AI. There's going to be more AI, um, whether you're the employee in a large organization or you're the leader in the organization, you're going to turn to a lot more automation, um, a lot more insights. You're going to be using wonderful new technologies to make things better, faster, more efficient, right? Because yeah, uh, absolutely. So that brings us back to the question, and I, I, I must ask you the question because uh, there's going to be um, many of us who haven't played and enjoyed the benefits of AI or you know, been on the technical side and on the frontline deployment of AI. And so for us, some of us out there, AI is this kind of black box of opportunity and threat. And hence, some people see it as one of the biggest game changers and enablers in our lives. You know, we've already experienced AI through Facebook and, and social yeah. networking sites. They use AI, have been for a long time. And actually, you know, even the Uber ride that we, we all are so dependent on lives on predictive analytics, on, on, on AI, trying to work out what the ETA of the next, next drop-off is going to be, or your pickup is going to be. That entire engine lives on AI. So does Facebook. So does um, Insta. And all of these tools that actually most of us use. So the first question before we get into, is AI your best friend or your worst enemy? And we'll debate that, of course, is, is um, you know, what is AI really? And if you could really keep it as clear cut and simple for us to explain to us what what, what do you think AI means? What, what is all of this stuff? Uh, and then yeah. we can talk about that because I think we need to define it first. Yeah. So uh, first of all, uh, I'll say that the, the reason for the fears is that because we fear what we don't know, there, there is a big misunderstanding as to, you know, what AI is and what it can do. And, and that therein lies the fear. So your question is, is spot on. Um, this is the thing that I'm trying most to get out there, to have people understand what AI is. And unlike a lot of other sciences, uh, if you speak to five different experts, you're going to get five slightly different opinions. So my view is as follows. AI is very much a nascent technology. It's this vast ocean of uncharted waters. And that spans many, many disciplines from computer science to mathematics, statistics, philosophy, and I could go on and on. What we have today, um, and I, I don't want to leave anything out, but if you look at good old-fashioned AI, statistical modeling, probability theory, and then the state of the art, which is deep learning and its various derivatives, to me, that represents a drop in that ocean. We have a long way to go. So I refer to what's out there today as machine learning and deep learning, and I differentiate it from what AI is. 
but it is a subset of AI and you're going to see a massive explosion, not just in the applications that are developed. So you mentioned a few uh, as in uh, Uber, Facebook that use AI in, in many ways. Um, the next level, the next echelon of AI research is going to enable us to do things that uh, we aren't able to today. And really what it is, the way I see it, if you're looking for a, a catchphrase, for mm. me, AI is the ultimate uh, aug augmented to human. So it's human augmentation. I don't see it as replacement. It's there to help us be more, be better, do more, do better. And that is what our mission is, um, and a lot of my colleagues in, in the space feel the same way. It's not to replace humans in, in any sense. And I guess we could, and thank you for that, and I think we should supplement that point. We should also talk about the fact, and just make it super clear, that AI is not one technology, right? It is a combination of different technology types that have come together, almost meshed together, to create this new... Uh, superpowered technology, you know, including things like machine learning that we've been deploying in our business for a number of years. It's a, it's a tech startup. Tech startups are pioneers in this domain, as you know. Uh, neural networks, and we'll talk about these independently, you know, natural language processing, not the NLP, uh, that is the cognitive NLP that people do. Yeah, of course, not, not that. This, is the, <laughs> this is the technology NLP. Um, and robotics, you know, robotics, physical robots, as well as this concept of robotic process automation, you know, using, uh, frankly, I mean, repetitive tasks, terribly boring tasks that no one really wants to do in the 21st century. And dangerous um, tasks. That nobody and wants dangerous to. tasks, yes, which are picked up and given to a machine. And frankly, we've, you know, manufacturing has seen that years and years ago. It's just almost a new generation of technology that is so um, ubiquitous. Um, we can't, it's not as if, you know, it's not a PC. It's not, here is my laptop, that's a technology. It's, it's uh, omnipresent, it's everywhere, it's in every Correct. app. And it's in every tool, Zoom. Uh, it's, in fact, McDonald's, an example is, you know, I was talking about tech titans there, right, earlier on, which was the big technology companies we're all familiar with. But of course, if you look at traditional organizations like even McDonald's, McDonald's used to carry out these surveys, right? These manual surveys a long time ago uh, to, to work out the family friendliness score yeah. of the restaurant, right? And you said, yes, no, or maybe. And they said, oh, great, it's working really well or not. What do they do now? They actually crawl and scrape data from Twitter based on geolocation. And they pick up sentiment on the back of that um, technology. And that is infinitely more advantageous, faster, more accurate. And then they cut that data in so many different ways to give us better menus, uh, better burgers, hopefully, you know, right. a level exactly. of service that really inspires the customer to come back again and again. So, so, that, so there's so many different types of technologies that AI represents. One interesting thing for both Rick and I has been, you know, uh, when, we were, when we started StraightTalk.Live, we were thinking about the human, digital, and the social, which we talked about. And AI affects each one of them, right? It affects each one of them. Could you touch on with the experiences that you've had? You've built AI tools. You're in the thick of venture investing and, of course, mm -hmm. you know, would have had time in the corporate. How do you think um, someone should look at AI and human transformation? And what I mean by that is jobs employment is this a good thing for people listening in or should they fear it purely yeah, from a human standpoint so so i have um my, my views on that are slightly different to to uh, most people's right i think that uh humans are and i hate the word replaced but ai is going to do the jobs we don't want to do i i see that being liberating um it's going to enable us to, to go and do the things we really truly want to do. So I'm often, you know, asked this question at events, say sitting on a panel and I'll poll the audience and say, who in this room would continue doing the job they're doing if they won the lottery tomorrow? And most people wouldn't. So is it jobs we want or is it the ability to maintain our lifestyle, the ability to earn whether we're doing the job we're doing or not? And AI will replace many jobs, but it's going to enable us to go out and do the things we really want to do, 
that are higher level, higher order things. And the second thing that's going to enable that is technology, not just AI, but all technology is reducing the cost of ev almost everything. So the cost of housing is going to come down. Energy is coming down. Transportation, um, logistics, manufacturing. So we're going to need a lot less to live on. So you you're not going to need the amount of money you need today. Therefore, you can earn less and do the things you really, really want to do. I see AI as a big liberator. And it's also going to enable people to go and, for example, there's a trend coming in a big way, I think, which is micro-entrepreneurship, mm. which is going to be setting up little micro-businesses using a lot of this technology that's going to be so easy to implement that is going to enable you to have multiple streams of income. And an example everyone can relate to is autonomous cars, right? So Uber's going to have autonomous vehicles. You could have a car, an electric car, autonomous car, that's out there earning you money while you sleep. And that's just one example. Um, your son could use a robotics kit to create a, an autonomous lawnmower, perhaps that goes out and mows the lawn of the neighbors and earns a bit of money. So a lot of things are gonna happen. It's gonna change the world for sure. I don't wanna say that it's not gonna happen. We, we are gonna have to adapt, but it's gonna be for the good of society and for the good of individuals. Nick, let me get in on this point because I think you're making some great points here about uh, a lot of the upsides of AI and what's possible that's not possible today, that it allows for us to be working on those higher human uh, evolutionary opportunities or self-actualization moments of what do we really want to be doing? What yeah. makes us, what I was thinking of is where AI actually forces us to look at what makes us more human. Mm -hmm. What yeah. are those areas that we can continue to develop and strategically emotional intelligence, intuitive intelligence, these types of things that AI can't quite do as well. So what does it, you know, in a way force us to get better at on our side of the street, if you will. But here's the other side of it too. Let's take something like surveillance. And so you, you shared an interesting story with me uh, around the pandemic that in Cyprus, when you, you have to literally text, I think the government or some official body to let you know that you can go outside for an hour to whether it's to the pharmacy, to a grocery store, to um, any, or even exercise. You have one hour, everyone in the household gets one hour to get outside and you have to wait for permission to get accepted, to go out by yeah. whoever's on the other side of that text or whatever AI, if AI likes you that day or not. And so the question is, what, is, what are your, some of your potential concerns around surveillance and how while AI has these great upsides, there can also be some catastrophic power grabs and opportunistic moments that could be pretty scary also. Yeah, no, absolutely. That, that is a concern of mine. Um, you know, the, the invasion of our privacy, um, uh, I mean, uh, not to, to pick on China, but what's happening there with um, sort of face recognition and uh, sort of hyper-profiling, um, policing through that kind of thing, is, is a big concern. Um, and I don't think most Western governments are gonna go that route. In fact, I think California's already outlawed um, facial recognition, right? It's happening in Europe. Uh, so I think the checks and balances are there. Um, governments, companies, individuals are gonna attempt to do things that, that violate our privacy and our human rights. But we have to keep them in check. And we have to speak up and say, no, that's not acceptable. Uh, there's a tremendous amount of work being done around ethics in AI. And I think it'll all, there's gonna be, let, let's be real here. There's gonna be issues. There's gonna be some disasters. There's gonna be things that are gonna go wrong, but that's true for anything. It's true for any field. But I think ultimately it will order correct. So is a, all AI created equal and, and for, for uh, the good of all of us? No, but I don't think the problem is an AI problem. It's a human problem. Mm -hmm. It's the humans that create and allow and enable that to happen. So AI doesn't right. have an agenda. It doesn't have, mm -hmm. uh, we, we're not there yet. We, we, we know we're near that. It's the humans behind it that need to be kept in check. And I'm, there are a lot of areas like that. Yeah, I'm with you 100% on that for now, at least. We're the, we're the ones responsible for our own biases Yep. You know, because they say, you know, data is only good as its source. Mm -hmm. And so if you look at our internet right now and AI is getting data from our internet, you know, our, we're all over the place right now. 
it's a mess down here. So, um, so your point taken and, and yet here's, here's one thing I want to get your sense on is that when I talk to AI architects and designers, um, here's, I, I understand there's usually two polarities going on here. One polarity is how can we make AI more powerful, faster, more intelligent? And that's our only agenda. Then there's the other side that you mentioned around ethics around, well, wait a minute, time out. Let's slow down a moment. Who might get exploited by that technology? Who might be empowered by that technology? Let's have those conversations now instead of when it's too late. And there's this tension in the AI community between these two, two sides. How do you see that playing out when there's also an AI arms race in another way, when you have like, you don't really know what, what's going on in China in some ways. No one really knows in some ways what's developing in China. And then you do know a little bit more about the Western world. How do you see that playing out where a lot of unknowns around the, an arms race to get there faster and this idea around, wait a minute, are we asking the right questions now? Yeah. So the, uh, you've got to find that balance between the right amount of regulation and the right amount of innovation. Because if you, if you over-regulate or regulate prematurely, you're going to stifle innovation. It's, uh, I think Europe, sadly, is out of the AI race. It's, it's now really between China and the US. And I think that's largely to do with overzealous premature regulation before we fully understand all the facts. My view on how to address this, Rick, is that it all lies in how much autonomy and decision-making ability we give AI. And that is an area that needs a tremendous amount of work. Obviously, it varies by application, right? If, uh, depending on the cost of lives, monetary costs, uh, other implications, you give it less decision-making power. And a solution I'd like to see, and it's something that, that I, I work on, is I'm following the work of uh, Neuralace, for instance, Neuralink, uh, Elon Musk, um, uh, there's a number of companies in that space. Uh, Kernel is another one that's doing a lot of great work with brain machine mm. interfaces. We've got to bring humans into that decision-making loop. The issue though, is that human language is relatively inefficient. It takes a long time to communicate mm. the information. Uh, say for example, the machine does all the number crunching, comes up with four plausible decisions it can make. It's that decision has a cost score of X, which is above the threshold. Therefore, it's not allowed to make that decision without certain humans. And depending on what the decision is, there's a set of rules that decide which group of humans can make that decision. And this should be crowdsourced. The moment uh, the likes of kernel figure out and crack the neural code where you don't need to have a 30 minute uh, audio stream or video stream going from the machine to the human, where literally a series of electrical impulses communicates the options and then doesn't wait for an, a, a verbal response, but reads what's going on in the brain to say, is the reaction positive or negative? And based on that, go and make the decision. In certain cases, the decision has to be explicitly made by, by certain humans. So to me, the solution lies in building that bridge between human and machine and then setting very, very specific rules and enforcing them as to how much decision-making ability does a machine have, including hiring, firing. I mean, there's a long, long list of decisions that we should sort of figure out, can it make the decision? I just want to come, I just want to come, thanks Nick. I want to come into another, touch on another topical issue related to AI. So we talked about the human side and I think what I'm hearing is, it's, a, it's an incredible technology. It's powerful. You need to understand it better. You need to embrace it. It's already here. You're using it in different sort of guises. Um, but at the same time, what you're saying is uh, it's almost like, well, if you don't catch up, if I'm a worker in a company and I'm concerned about it, if I don't investigate, don't study, don't upgrade my skill sets, um, I may lose this race and it might be a bit of a race. And in fact, we talked about the unemployment crisis literally two or three sessions ago, and it's a real one and it's going to hit us. And people are thinking about the next job, the next career move, the next reset. And there's no doubt in our minds, I guess, that AI will have a role to play in, in whatever you end up doing next. If not now, then at some point in the near future. 
So you must understand it. It's like this new cool thing that you have to get familiar with and comfortable with because it's going to be part of your new reality, right? We're accepting that to some extent. Yep. So I think we're, we're a little bit biased, but we're saying we like AI because we enjoy it. We've used it in the right sort of way. There are some risks though uh, that we should call out. And I think with anything in life, uh, an overabundance of something in a short space of time, and a crude example would be uh, alcohol. If you drink, we're talking about alcohol just before we came we were. So we're talking about single malt. If you yeah. consume too much too quickly, it's kind of not good for you, right? So yeah. I think AI needs a little bit of, uh, you have to be somewhat timid with it and paced and enjoy it like a good glass of wine or a nice sip of single malt or whatever it is that gets you going. And it needs to be monitored. It needs to be watched because it, we can get addicted to it, of course, because we can become a little bit lazy because the machine orders the product before I think about it, God forbid. Or uh, the predictive analytics tool tells me how I should be feeling in the next 10 minutes based on past behavior analysis, God forbid, or not. And so human beings, yes, won't have to do the boring tasks, the things that actually, if you think about Gallup surveys for years, over 80% of people interviewed in, in, in enterprises actually, frankly, don't want to get up in the morning and go to work. Okay, why is that? Uh, about side of politics and all of the corporate um, inertia that exists. It's the fact that people end up in groundhog mode. Same thing every day, every morning, leave work, uh, get leave for work at the same time in the morning, come back at the same time. It's that, it's that kind of almost boredom that sets in. And I think it's amazing that it's going to be amazing that AI takes all the, all the stuff you never want to do. And now you can focus on higher value work. You can be transformational. And I want to touch on one very important point you made, which I think you said micro entrepreneurs. Mm -hmm. Is that what you call them? Micro entrepreneurs. Yep. And I think you're spot on, bang on. And I do think it's going to be a lively trend in, in sync with the gig economy trends, right? Yep. Because people would want to, and freelance trends, of course. And in fact, in my own company, most of our employee base now, in fact, they're not employees, they're all freelancers. We are massively dependent on the gig economy. We have a few people on payroll, but actually most of the people, majority, we want them to be gig economy workers, not just yeah. because of the cost advantage, variable cost advantage, they're dynamic. They're working on multiple projects at the same time, and they give us a lot of insights. Like the cross-pollination is super fair, as opposed to the employee who generally accepts it or wants it one way. Right. right. Um, so micro entrepreneurship, I just want to touch on that and get your views. Can you tell us a little bit more about open source? Because if I'm an entrepreneur, I'm thinking, well, how am I going to become rich then, Nick? Or how am I going to pay for my existence? Although I don't need to earn as much as I did yesterday. Can you talk us through yeah, the opportunities well, on open source and AI, please? There, there's a lot of uh, points you raised there. So um, to, to respond to a couple of points you raised, right? Sure. First of all, um, we do need to understand what AI is capable of, what it can do. But the trend you're going to see over the next decade is that not only scientists and engineers will be creating AI, there's going to be a set of meta tools and meta meta tools that makes it easier and easier for you to develop stuff. So you, it's going to, we're going to get to a point where a non-technical person can essentially uh, use AI, for example, working from home as a micro entrepreneur to spin out an e-commerce website in two minutes. And just by talking to a system that does everything it needs to do for them, yeah. right? So those are the enabling technologies that are going to enable this micro entrepreneurship trend. Um, another point that I want to get in here in, in response to what you, you just said and asked is that I heard on, on one of your recent episodes, you spoke about uh, the UBI and how by, by paying people this handout, essentially, you know, what is the motivation to do anything in life? I have a slightly different uh, idea for how we handle that. So if you look at any organization, you know, you've been in, in uh, a Fortune 500 company for 10, 15 years, you're in that group of people who's just tired of the monotony, um, you're seeing your, your job being more and more replaced by AI. The way I think that transition needs to happen is that, first of all, 
there needs to be a, a mechanism that moves you from the labor pool to the capital pool. And the way I see that happening is that because companies are going to have a lower labor cost, um, uh, you know, less contributions to pension, et cetera, et cetera, because you have a reducing number of employees, a portion of that money should be put in a pool that essentially enables employees that are on the path to redundancy and replacement to enable them to own a share of A, the company, but B, the underlying technology to an extent where when you leave the company, you've got some ownership, so you are going to benefit financially. You've also got perhaps a, a royalty-free perpetual license to use a lot of the tech, which by the way, you help procure, procure. You help create the data that trained it. You help supervise. You helped uh, figure the company out how to glean insights from it and improve it and so on and so forth. So you basically facilitated the AI be getting to a point where it replaced you, right? So you should walk away with some ownership that replaces pension where you, you, you earn money for the rest of your life as an owner of that company. Plus you have access to the technology to go and do something that's non-competitive to the company you left. So that that enabled micro entrepreneurship as well. So that, that is how I, sh and, and by the way, this is quite way off into the future, but we do need to start thinking about these things now and putting these mechanisms in place. And that's the way I, I would approach that whole um, dynamic that's taking place at the moment. What, what about, um, so that's one part of it. And I, I love the idea where you're rewarding and recognizing those who were instrumental in the original creation inception of a probably a product that's making you millions, if not billions of dollars today, right? So that's fantastic. And that brings us to the point around ethics and values and how corporates actually run this show. And so let me throw another thing in the mix. And I, Rick loves this subject um, because it relates to human judgment and it relates to intuition, it relates to compassion, passion, uh, care, sensitivity, all of those things, which interestingly, human beings, humans and AI, human beings are gifted with all of those things I've just shared. We've got them in abundance. In fact, when you're a little child, you're bestowed with all those gifts and along the way we kind of lose them or forget that we have them. Isn't that the biggest difference between human beings and AI? Because of course this debate's going to go on, but mm -hmm. human beings are masters of all of those emotions, right? Yep. They can sense, they can, they have context like machines don't. And isn't that what in fact, that's not even a comparison. It's they're two very distinct, mutually exclusive things out there. And isn't AI now going to enable us all to tap into those great abilities, our, uh, our gifts that we've forgotten we had, the love, the passion, the gratitude, the generosity that makes the world actually go round. Machines just act as enablers right? They're not at the forefront of what humanity and human beings are able to do themselves. So I want to throw this into the mix and I'm going to ask Rick to um, add some more sort of juice and masala to this, Rick, which is, you know, man, human being, woman, um, we have other gifts. Machine makes our gifts greater. Uh, let's talk about that because I think uh, this should take out anxiety and fear from the minds of those who are either going off on a mission to launch AI in some way in a big company, or are the recipients of AI, not victims, but recipients and benefactors of AI, if you want to call them that. Yeah, great question. For me, you know, digital transformation is human transformation. They are fundamentally related, even though we often think of them as separate a lot of times or split. Yeah. But the reality is, you know, the more our consciousness develops, the more our intelligence develops, especially in the areas, as you're saying, that make us most human. Uh, we've learned so much about emotional intelligence and how we're reading out signals and cues all the time. Mm -hmm. And think about anyone who goes into any board meeting or, or team meeting, you're already scanning the environment in the first second. Yep. You're, you're tracking body language, even though you might not be aware of it consciously, but yeah. subconsciously, that's what we're doing as social animals all the time. Uh, whether we're in relationship, whether we're in a one-to-many presentation or speaking opportunity in a big stadium, we're always feeling out the crowd or a one-to-one -one situation. 
and here's where my book really came from, that passion around we're much more intelligent than we give ourselves credit for. And yet we haven't put a lot of energy and attention on that. We haven't really put as much development on our intuitive intelligence. And Nick, this is where you and I, I think, first originally sparked. When you were talking about, and this surprised me when you first said this, that, hey, actually, you're not going to believe this, Rick, but a lot of AI designers and architects like me, um, we're actually studying consciousness. We're studying neuroscience. We're studying intuition. That's the things that we're wanting to learn to add to our repertoire to make artificial intelligence as synergistic as possible with Mm -hmm. the human dynamic. And it's like you have to be able to study each of them into its its extreme to be able to blend. And so that really uh, gave me inspiration. And that's where I think we first touched around the human and the artificial intelligence that how can we amplify both sides, which I feel like we're doing from different angles, but also complementary that way. How do you see that, Nick? So um, as I said earlier, AI is there to augment human intelligence, to make us better, to give us access to more. But it's a symbiotic relationship. So mm-hmm. a lot of people, the holy grail of AI is artificial general intelligence, right? That's when machines display all the traits of a human. And, and how at least far human out do level you think we are on that, by the way? Well, here, here's a controversial view, right? Yeah. So looking out at the horizon, and we can only see up until the horizon. We, we, it's hard to see beyond. <clears throat> and who knows, maybe something will come along that enables us to see beyond what we can see on the horizon today. But my view is that AGI equals AI plus HI, where HI is human intelligence. And it's not just intelligence uh, that we all understand uh, what intelligence is, but it's also intuition. It's the ability to abstract. It's consciousness. It's Mm. emotion. Um, And all those traits that make us truly human. And here's where the controversy comes in. I don't believe in as far as the horizon, as far as I can see on the horizon, that we'll achieve AGI in our lifetime. Except if, unless we merge man and machine and going back to, to BMIs where AI is able to emote, it's able to have intuition, but not without a partnership with humans. In other mm-hmm. words, it outsources, crowdsources, the, 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 the strictly human characteristics to the crowd. So for example, um, let's just say that an AI system has to make, has to, has to show an emotion in a certain context. And the audience is young ladies under the age of 25 in Manhattan, for instance. There'll be loads of people in Manhattan that have signed up to be connected via BMI to this particular AI. What the AI system will then do is say, I don't know how to emote. I can pretend I know, I can um, basically predict what Rick would have done and do that, but that's not true emotion. You're not Mm -hmm. really exhibiting emotion. It can then poll the crowd and say, what do I do? Here are my options. I've crunched the numbers, these are the options. It gets that feedback and now it's, displaying emotion, but it's not coming from the machine as such. It's coming from having articulated that, crowdsourced it, gotten the feedback, and then shown the emotion. And the same goes for intuition, et cetera, et cetera, so that the machine can develop that particular sixth sense, but it's not its sixth sense. It's coming from the audience, right? Or from the crowd. Yeah, so it's still like a mimic effect where it's responding based on algorithms versus intrinsically arising. Yeah, I, I don't think we're going to get there in our lifetimes. I, I'd love to say we, we are, but I, I just don't see it. I can, we can emulate it. We can predict it. So, for example, intuition. We could hook you up to fMRI. We could uh, be with you for two, three months, and we could say, all right, just tell us what your gut is telling you in this instant. Now, are you able to tune into it? And are you able to articulate it properly? And are we able to then codify that into something that we can train the machine with? But presuming we can do all of that, we could then map out that, okay, in this scenario, based on all this data we've gathered, Rick's intuition's probably telling him X. 
But again, what are we doing? We, we're predicting based on the past, but we are so much more complex than that. Mm. Well, let's find right? out. I think Nick is going to have a single malt whiskey after the show. <laughs> wow. <laughs> That's magic. <laughs> wow. You he heard it here on Straight, Live, Straight Talk. Live. <laughs> <laughs> I have one last question I'm just dying to ask you, then I want to turn it over to Off. Is, you know, in physics, we have something called the observer effect that when you observe a phenomenon, you actually change that phenomenon. And this has happened in so many experiments out there. There's loads you can research about this. I've never heard anyone ask this in an AI context, so I want to ask you this question. Is it possible, or have you seen any um, research about this, that the consciousness of the programmer alters the, the program, the artificial intelligence? Yeah, no the doubt. The consciousness of the programmer actually... <laughs> infuses and changes the artificial intelligent product absolutely and it's not just the programmer right it's the, the it's the people gathering the data it's the people that are cleaning the data it's the people that are the data scientists that are preparing that data to feed the the, the model uh, we are every one of us there isn't a human being on this planet who isn't biased we all have biases whether we like to believe we do or don't and those will always make their way into any system that's developed um, and within companies the culture of the company which let's face it today still it's mostly and especially in the tech world it's mostly created by men for men that's got to mm -hmm. change and and that's just gender right it, it, it carries across to many 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 other uh, dimensions of humans so absolutely it, it happens in a very real way uh, Rick we, we, our beliefs and our um, consciousness and our biases will make their way into the systems we create. And there, therein lies a really exciting problem in AI is to figure out how to use AI to filter out that bias. There's a lot of companies out there and we see a lot of pictures um, of people telling us that they figured out how to remove bias from this and bias from that and bias from the other. And I've yet to see something that truly impresses me we, we we're not mm. there yet um i mean i have a number of theories this is not a technical discussion but uh, maybe for another conversation i'd love to do one with you about intuition and ai and, and how mm. the two come together and, and mm. what does that look like because i have a lot of thoughts and we, we're doing a lot of work in that area would love that mm. so i wanted i wanted to and 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 time's flying by so we, we've got some questions that have come in as well I just wanted to touch on one final point and then we can have an open dialogue, which uh, kind of relates to, so we talked about human transformation. We have touched on digital transformation, at least from the point of view of micro entrepreneurship, um, open source tools and software that will allow you to be an intrapreneur and or an entrepreneur. So an intrapreneur somewhere inside a big company being um, entrepreneur-like you know, mm -hmm. and new, new kinds of business models we've touched on, not directly, but of course, the Ubers, the, the Facebooks, the uh, software as a service companies that we all kind of use as subscriptions, Amazon, Apple, and so on and so forth. And people cross-pollinating and entering new industries, even the big companies, that's the other thing to call out. Big companies, large tech titans, those are the ones to be really aware of. Uh, and you have to ignore them at your peril because four weeks or six weeks ago, you know, at least in my world, we were propagating and, and making CEOs of large companies aware of the tech titans and their business models and their ecosystems and their unit economics and their hiring policies, the whole lot, because they're like the stalwarts, they're the marquee companies that one looks, looks up to. And in the last, what, few weeks, seven, eight weeks since the pandemic, that entire talk track has amplified. It's on steroids because uh, Google has taken a, a massive position, not only in, in, in building new products and hiring people and so on, but actually it's doing the, in, in the United States, it's the company that is built, has built the survey tool or the geolocation tool that you use to find out where the next testing center is for COVID, right? And they, they run that, they own it. And uh, let's just imagine the kind of, uh, God knows terabytes of data that they're accumulating every second on the citizens of a country. So if you think they had power yesterday, well, there's another conversation to be had. 
Um, the point I'm making really is that on the digital side, the big tech titans are going to be ones that we should all watch. And we have to watch them very carefully because they're the owners of AI. Frankly, actually, they're going to own a lot of data if they haven't already. And they're going to be manipulating it and playing with it and creating predictive analytics. You know, going back to my Amazon experience, of course, I want the product to turn up uh, before thinking about it because I'm like, oh my God, it's my wife's birthday. Bang, she's got a gift already. It's turned up and I'm in the good books. It's coming currently. No, <laughs> <laughs> it's just me, you know, I'm grafting up. <laughs> convenience will always overshadow and dominate or trump um pardon the pun will 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 always be at the forefront of human decision making because we like things better faster easier you know be it the host you know the hospital experience the hotel experience or the home experience doesn't really matter or the education experience so digital business models are going to change ai is going to be a big part of them Third area I'd like you to just very quickly touch on is social impact, social transformation. Now, come on, I mean, AI is all cool and so on, and people are going to make loads of money, but is anyone going to get any, anything good out of this? Is there any benefit for society uh, with this cool, ultra-sexy technology? Over to you. Oh, gosh, I mean, there's, there's so much. Of, it's just, I mean, let, let's talk about education. Yeah. AI is going to be the thing that completely disrupts a century old institution structure that simply does not work. The, the, the whole one to many teaching paradigm, um, just it's, it's broken. It's, it, there's a knowledge explosion. The amount of knowledge that's coming on stream every day is massive. How do we keep up with that? right? The whole idea of, of studying for 15, 20, 25 years, and then never have to do it again for the rest of your life is nonsense, right? I mean, we, we're going to have to shift to a lifelong learning model. Mm. There is a dire shortage of teachers globally. You've got more and more people coming online. Um, you've got, I don't know how, I think it's 1.6 billion children around the world are, don't have access to education. And a big percentage of that is, is young girls. Yeah. Um, uh, if, how do you fix that scalability problem? Only AI can do it unless you can just go figure out how to clone a tremendous amount of teachers and let them live on a lot less money. Right. If, if AI fixing that scalability issue in global education does not have a positive societal impact, I don't know what does. And you could translate that. You could carry that across to medicine. You could carry it across to a lot of things. There's a lot of people around the world who are not getting medical treatment. Um, sure, you don't necessarily want a robot. You know, it's not going to have a great bedside manner, but I'd rather take a robot than nothing at this point in time, right? Or a machine making my medical decisions than nothing. So uh, the societal, the positive societal impacts are, are numerous and they run deep. Um, education is, is one that's sort of near and dear to my heart. It's, it's, hugely important and um, it's one we're doing a lot of work on. Terrific. Maybe we'll do, host another show at some point to talk about intuition mm -hmm. and education and its, its intimate relationship with AI. So we know we've got a ton of questions. Rick, over to you, buddy. Yeah, uh, we got a couple great questions question. from our audience. And for those of you listening right now, type in your mm -hmm. questions now, whether you're on Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, we want to hear them. So here's, here's your first one, Nick, is what do you predict the next big advancements in AI will be in the next two years? Wow, there's so many. Um, I think we're going to actually, although it seems like science fiction, I think we're going to start seeing BMIs being used to an extent where you start having more and more of a, of a brain machine interface. I mean, you're seeing it in gaming. You're already seeing it with, you know, in, in people with, with uh, motor um, function issues. Uh, it's going to start entering our lives and it's as soon as in the next few years. And what are some potential playouts of that? What could that look like as far as helping people and, and collaborating with people in that way? Well, um, education is, is one thing for sure. It's um, giving us instant access to everything that, that's online and having sort of an unspoken conversational agent in our head that we can use to access knowledge and information. Uh, uh, you could use it in diagnostics. I mean, the applications that are going to flow from that are huge. Mm. I think Great. the one thing I just want to add to that um, for whoever asked the question is that 
all of the big advancements that we may or may not see in whatever time period is going to be underpinned by um, data. The more data, the more clean structured data we have about something historic, ideally, data that can give us some sort of a, a baseline on how AI can be deployed in certain instances, the better it will be. Even a, even a healthcare scan, like a radiology um, unit, would want to use AI to uh, look for um, cancer cells, maybe or preempt uh, whether a patient's blood work is making them prone to an autoimmune condition, for that matter. Right now, it's been, it's, it's, you know, we're using very basic models to do it in, in human judgment, the doctors or the experts or the consultants. And I, I, if you think about it, it's bizarre because health, especially with this pandemic, and I would, I think you're probably thinking this, but I would call this out. I think health has to be uh, first and foremost in terms of how AI is going to change the way, God forbid, this happens again we will be using a lot more AI in either drug discovery, drug development or deployment or logistics, you name it. I think that has to be the one yeah. big advancement that's gonna come on the back of this. You're gonna see a, a tremendous amount of that. I, I see it happening already just, I mean, right from the papers that are being written to the applications that are being developed. We will know about the next pandemic on day one, on day zero, because we're gonna see those initial spikes. You're gonna see those initial anomalies and we're going to go in and, and be able to deal with it a lot quicker. Uh, drug discovery. I mean, there, there's so many areas. The, the one thing I tell everybody is that AI is not a, I don't see it as a technology on its own. It's the great enabling technology. It enables everything else to, to, to be better and, and to get to where they need to get to a lot sooner. Correct. Let me ask this question from Cameron. This is a good one around the environment, AI and the environment. Could it save our environment? How could it play a role in helping us with climate challenges that are, we're facing? How do you see that link? Yeah, um, look, definitely in terms of gathering data and, and crunching that data and try and make sense of um, everything that's happening on this planet, already there's a tremendous amount of initiatives happening in, in the climate change um, arena. Mm. And I think with the lockdown, the amount of data that's gonna flow from us mostly being stuck at home and not being out there polluting as much and doing things, that's going to be a huge, huge um, experiment that's going to lead to a tremendous amount of, of insights and knowledge and innovation that's going to come from that. So AI is one of the areas, uh, climate change is one of the areas that I think AI is best suited to, to deal with. I feel some relief as you say that. We need all the help we can get. <laughs> oh, absolutely. We've kind of taken our eye off the ball with the whole pandemic thing, right? I uh -huh. mean, we've kind of mm -hmm. left climate change to the side a little bit, but. Exactly. But as change. we all know, there's the longer term conversation that's not going away that we'll have to contend with. Yep. Um, so BB asks uh, around deep learning. So deep learning is modeled on the human brain. Where else can we look beyond the brain? Okay. Well, firstly, yeah, it, it's, it's sort of modeled. It's neuroscience inspired, but let's be honest, we understand the brain anatomically, but uh, functionally, we actually very, know very little about the brain, relatively speaking. So deep learning is, I, I don't believe is, is modeled on the brain, um, but let's leave that as it is. I think that we need to be looking at completely new paradigms. Um, trying to model the human brain is something that I don't believe is the, the best way to do this right? The best way to create AI. Yeah. I think we need to be starting on a tabular answer, complete clean slate and be looking to have AI do what it's good at, what machines are good at, which is crunching huge amounts of data, um, finding patterns in obscurity, um, things that humans are not good at. Trying to create another human is not the best and highest pursuit yeah. as far as I'm concerned. That's, that's my opinion. Yeah, I really like that. I haven't really mm. heard anyone phrase it that way, um, that it really could be created in a whole different context, not based on the human hybrid that it is now, yeah. even though it's hard to imagine that really happening at the same time. Well, it's, I mean, we're doing a lot of work in that area. Um, and I, I think you're going to see more and more people doing that. Um, we have humans, we have very smart humans. Why go create another human. This whole anthropomorphic um, aspiration just doesn't make sense to me. You know, why make robots look like people? 
Why make humanoid robots so that we can relate to them? It's, there's more efficient designs mm -hmm. depending on what the objective is. Mm -hmm. And there's more effective uh, cognitive designs than modeling uh, AI after the brain. So this, is, this, this can get into a very heated debate if you bring uh, four or five AI practitioners into the same room and have this discussion because everyone's fixated on the sort of neuroscience-inspired model. I, I, don't, I think it's important to study it so that you can have that sort of human-machine partnership that I keep talking about. I'm starting to, I have to say, I'm, I'm starting to get convinced with your, your earlier argument there and your point, because at the end of the day, I mean, technology is technology. It's there created by man, by human beings, by us to serve a purpose, to make life better, to do things faster, to take away the boredom or the, the tasks we don't want to do, whatever it may be, whatever the deployments may be. I think, uh, I mean, Hollywood has a role to play here as well, of course, because Hollywood has given us the, uh, you know, the, the, the movies uh, from Star, Star Wars to Star Trek to various others where you have um, androids, you know, human androids, and you have uh, robots who look like us. And uh, there's so many sort of um, examples we all have of how the world could be different with, with so much more technology. But you make a really good point. I mean, I, I just being very pragmatic. If you think about um, the power of compute, the, the computational power with supercomputers and just like terabytes and terabytes of data. Now we have on our fingertips through the cloud. Uh, that is what we should be exploiting for the foreseeable future to then allow us to, I think think tanks need to come back. We need to start to think about the, the new paradigm, the new world we all want to live in, uh, not just solving the immediate problems and being so task oriented. And I, you know, one of our speakers down the line, uh, who's a fantastic, um, he's an intellectual economist and, you know, general maverick, Charles Eisenstein, we're bringing him, in, uh, him on in a few weeks, right, Rick? And we were chatting with him just the other day and he, he, he used this concept, I liked it a lot, the tyranny of the clock. The tyranny <laughs> of the clock. I love it. And, and I started, I've been thinking about that overnight and I'm thinking, yeah, wow, we've really been stifled and dominated and ruled by the tyranny of the clock in everything we do and Absolutely. let's let's be aware of that let's not start yet another form of tyranny and so i'm on your side you've convinced me in a few words that we don't need man and machine meshing together i wouldn't mind a chip on the back of my head though because there's so much going on, I need to outsource it to the cloud. But <laughs> it's, it's coming. <laughs> I definitely want to have a, I definitely want to have a whiskey with you, the human. Oh, no, we, we're going to do that for sure. <laughs> the human, not the AI. You. <laughs> so Nick, I, I just want to thank you for um, all of your great insights and perspective. Um, I appreciate the vast place you come from and looking at all the ways to integrate humanity, AI, uh, social impact. Uh, you really encapsulate a lot of what this program is really about. What are your final words for those listening? around um, what you see is most important. Once again, what this pandemic is really revealing for all of us right now, what are the questions that we need to be asking in terms of our relationship to AI and AI's relationship to us and the greater environment as a whole? Yeah, um, so uh, to Af's point earlier, uh, learn everything you can about AI. If you're in the domain, educate, teach. But what I'd like to end with is to create better AI, to create ethical AI, we need to create better humans and more ethical humans and mm. have that, um, that, that imparting of values sort of flow from parents to school, to tutors, mentors, coaches, professors, uh, uh, venture capitalists, funders, everyone that interacts with anyone that's kind of moving on the path of creating the next level of AI that's gonna make a big impact in our lives. Let's empower them to not only be smarter, but have the right values that are mm -hmm. gonna carry us into the next echelon of, of artificial intelligence. I absolutely love that. And that's actually my biggest takeaway also is that yes, there's bias in AI, but we have to take responsibility of the source of that bias. Correct. And so the more that we take responsibility for our consciousness, our biases, um, all the ways that we need to develop and grow and keep ourselves in check, 
AI is going to only be a better extension of that depending on how we do our own work and how we continue to show up. Yep. Well said. So thank you so, um, so much again, all of you for being part of this amazing conversation. We hope all of you out there enjoyed it. Please continue to send us your questions. Um, you'll see these posts on Facebook, YouTube, LinkedIn, um, Twitter, and LinkedIn as well. Um, and we'll be sending the replay out tomorrow. So feel free to pass that on to anyone that you think would be inspired by this conversation. Nick, we'd love to have you back again at some point soon to I'd continue to the be conversation. Back. Thanks around. for having me, guys. Yeah, it's you're a pleasure. so wonderful. Uh, so thank you again. And then uh, for next week, we're going to be um, inviting Anthony Woolley. Um, and so we're going to be looking at how to reset your career and embrace digital. He has a pretty incredible story about this personally and some of the obstacles he's had to overcome to re-examine a very cushy career into the very uncomfortable unknown and make friends with that. And then how to embrace digital along the way uh, that's changing the game that I think a lot of you will be able to relate to in different ways. So that's our show next week. Same time, same channel. Nick, thank you again. Thank you. Off, always a pleasure to be with you. All the best. Have a great day, guys.